Welcome to the Eastridge Church South Campus Podcast. We bring to you the message portion of our Sunday services in a convenient podcast form. You can listen on your way to work, during your lunch break, or even during your workouts. We want to put tools in your pocket to help you throughout the week. If you would like to find out who we are or what we are about, please visit us at eastridge.church. All right, let's go. I spend a lot of time driving. I probably drive about a thousand miles a week now. I spend eight, nine, ten hours behind the wheel. So I listen to a lot of stuff and I listen to a lot of podcasts. And one podcast that I've begun to listen to really regularly and I keep up with is it's called Hold These Truths. It's by Congressman Dan Crenshaw. Now, for anybody flies out their seat, we're not going, I'm not talking politics here. We're not getting into that. But I, I'm a bit of a nerd. I'm a bit of a policy nerd, policy wonkish type thing. I like that type of stuff to kind of get in the weeds when it comes to public policy and constitutional items and stuff. I'm just, I'm a bit nerdy that way. And that's what this podcast is. But uh, uh, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, though, he, he talks about some th- this regularly as a, as a politician. He says, I, he, people come up to him all the time. He says, he's like, you, you, I need you to fight. You guys need to fight, fight this, you know, get in there. He's like, I don't even know sure what they're talking about, what they mean by fight, but they want you to do it. They just want you to fight. Now, I'm not certain if you've paid attention to the news in the last, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years. My venture is, I guess, that we don't lack fighting in our political system, do we? It seems there's a lot of fighting that goes on. So he, and he says that. He says, I think we fight a lot. So I don't really know what people mean. But he said this. He said, there's no shortage of people fighting out there. He said, but I don't want to fight. I want to win. And make no mistake about it, there can be a difference between fighting and winning. You can fight just to fight and still lose, but you fought. But there's a difference between fighting and winning. And coming from a former Navy SEAL, which is what Dan Cronshaw is, he's a former Navy SEAL who lost his eye in combat, that kind of phrase speaks volumes to me. Fighting and winning don't always mean the same thing. And as Christians... I sometimes feel that we have become a little too focused on the fight, on fighting in the culture, and less on winning in the culture. And I understand the temptation. I do. Listen, let's, let's be honest about the situation that we find ourselves in here in 2021. Christianity in America has fully transitioned from a dominant force in the mainstream culture to a, it's a post-Christian culture. It is what it is. Now listen, you can never fully divorce the two, Christianity from America. I will stop short of calling America a Christian nation because we're not founded on an actual religion. But you cannot separate the values that are, that are born into our Constitution from the Jerusalem. When I say Jerusalem, I mean the values of Judeo-Christian heritage, the values and morality of Judeo-Christianity, and the, the governmental style, the democracy of Athens, Greece. Jerusalem and Athens come together in our constitution, unlike anywhere else in the world, to form this, this world that we live in. And so there is a heritage and a value system that, that was dominantly Christian because there is no other way for it to be the way that our country was put together and the way our founding fathers put it together. But now in our culture, at least, we live in a post-Christian culture. And at times, you may turn on the news, turn on the radio, turn on a movie, TV show, whatever, and you may feel mocked as a Christian. You may feel belittled. And when you, we have those things, our instinct is to fight back. And most of the time, the way that we fight is we fight the same way the culture in the world does. Because that's what happens when you feel less than. 
So instead of being in the grace field, grace, wow, field. I'm hick, but I'm not that much. I don't know where that came from, field. So grace filled lights to the world we are called to be, living out God's word and conviction and power as an example to an unbelieving world. We saddle up next to politicians, to institutions, to places of power, and just try to strong our way back up to the top of the cultural heat. That's kind of what we're doing right now in American Christianity. Listen, no one likes being in the minority. Nobody likes that. No, no one, we, we like agreement. We like people to agree with us. Only people who don't like people to agree with them are usually jerks. And I say that being one of them, All right? I don't care sometimes if somebody agrees with me or not. And I can be a bit of a jerk about it. I've had problems with it and I've had to repent of it. I am not sometimes a very nice person. And I can say that honestly, but we like being around people who agree with us. And we like thinking that other people agree with us. We like like-minded people. But when it comes to the culture at large, that's just not the case anymore in America. We don't have a lot of that in the culture. And let me tell you something, church, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's good because Christianity thrives when it's not dominant, when it's not the dominant force in culture, and it doesn't have the power of the culture behind it. Because then the power comes where it's supposed to come from. It comes from God. It comes from heaven. It comes from Jesus Christ. The church has grown and existed for 2,000 years. And for portions of that history, it was nowhere near the dominant cultural force that it has been at times in America that we've maybe become used to. And it's hard to be countercultural, which is what Christianity is. It's counterculture. It's counter to this world when you're tied to the culture. And so Jesus said something to his disciples before he sent them out. And in Matthew, after he's He's stepped into his public ministry. For the very first time, he's going to send his disciples out in twos, and they're going to go out and, and share the gospel. He's given them power to heal and to cast out spirits, to do all these crazy, awesome things. But these are the charges that he leaves them with as he sends them out. He says, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be sh as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. Shrewdness and harmlessness. That's what he called them to. He didn't call them to fight like warriors. See, that's not warrior language there. That's not saddle up, grab your spear, grab your things, and go fight and drive your stake in the ground and hold the line. That's not the language that Jesus used. He doesn't use the language of a warrior. He sent them out amongst a dominant culture that was likely to be hostile to the gospel. And he said to be shrewd, to be cunning, to be crafty like a snake moving through the weeds yet be harmless and innocent and pure as a dove. See, our tactics need to be shrewd. Our, our, our abilities need to be wise. We need to move carefully through the culture and weave our way in any way we know how, but we have to have motives that are pure. That's what Jesus is talking about. And there's a story in the Old Testament that I think illustrates this idea of being shrewd and innocent better than any other. And it comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 1. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you want to open it up, we're going to be in Dan the book of Daniel. We're going to stay right there in Daniel, chapter 1. So you can go ahead and open it up, open your phone, scroll, do whatever. If not, it'll be on the screen. I want to dive right into the story of Daniel. So uh, in Daniel, chapter 1, it says this. During the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave him victory over King Jehoiakim of Judah and permitted him to take some of the sacred objects from the temple of God. So Nebuchadnezzar took them back to the land of Babylonia and placed them 
in the treasure house of his God. There couldn't be a less dominant cultural situation than this right here. See, Babylon has rolled right through Judah. Just a quick overview of, of biblical history. You had the kingdom of Israel that was, that was founded under King Saul, and then King David and King Solomon united, big, powerful, great, great nation in ancient history. And then it all began to fall apart, and the, the kingdom split. You had the northern kingdom, which included ten, the ten tribes of Israel that were to the north, and then the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, those two formed the southern kingdom. And those were, that was the separation there. You had the separation and eventually the northern kingdom just morphed and blended and assimilated into the culture. And all that was left was really just Judah. That was it at this time. And then right here, Babylon rolls through. King Nebuchadnezzar and his army roll through and they cart off people to Babylon. And, and now nowhere exists in the world that is okay to worship Yahweh and be Jewish. And there's no place in the world that is okay for that. No place in the world that is safe for that. No place was openly, dominantly Jewish. But the interesting fact is not that in that statement. It's that God gave it up. Did you, did you catch that in there? That the Lord gave the victory to King Nebuchadnezzar. He gave Judah to Babylon. He gave it up. And that's something that we need to understand for our purposes in this world, is that sometimes God gives up the culture. Sometimes God gives up the culture. Now listen, I have a five-year-old boy and an almost two-year-old boy. Life, as you can imagine, can be a bit of a challenge most days, especially when you have a five-year-old who's going on 15 and a two-year-old who is fast on his heels of looking at the example of his five-year-old brother and choosing to be just as stubborn and just uh, strong-willed as his five-year-old brother is. Now, the irony is that I prayed to, the God, to God when I was look, my wife and I we were looking at having children, and I said, Lord, I want to have kids that I need to rein in. I want to have children that I have to pull back on, because I'd rather have to pull in the reins than have to kick them in the pants. You know what I'm saying? That's what I prayed for. And the Lord laughingly gave me exactly what I asked for. And here's the thing about Corbett, my five-year-old. Um, great kid. Love him to death. But he as kids are prone to do, thinks that he's smarter than his dad. And he doesn't need me to teach him anything. He doesn't know how to, he can do it. He knows how to do it. And here's the thing, radical parenting, I know in 2021, sometimes I let him. Knowing full well that some harm might befall him, I let him. Case in point, just the, the last couple of weeks, we've been at uh, the neighborhood pool swimming. He's five, can't swim. So we got the little vest on him, you know, and he, he just now is jumping in and doing all this stuff. Well, I finally talked him into taking his vest off where it was shallow to try to work on swimming a little bit. I was like, son, let me hold you up so you can show you how to say, no, dad, I can do it. I, I can do it, dad. I got it. I was like, son, let, let me just show you how. No, dad, I can do it. I, I can do it, dad. I was like, all right. I watched my son, my five-year-old, holding his nose, one arm swimming, kicking like this, just flailing about, moving nowhere, mind you, just splashing everybody at the public pool. I don't have my own pool, so you're just splashing everybody, flailing about like a, like a fish on land, but he's in the water. It's a crazy-looking situation. And I'm like, son, just let me show No, Dad, I can do it. He can't. All right, he's five. He can't swim. He, can't, he, doesn't, he needs to be shown how, but he is adamant that he can do it. Now, this has happened in the pool. Now, this has happened where I've told him, don't climb on this. Don't, don't touch that. Don't go here. Don't go that. And inevitably, after I say it, he doesn't listen. I say, okay, something bad happens to him, and he's on the floor climbing. Why do I do that? And I say, because you don't listen. 
That's why you do it, because you don't listen. That's why this happened to you. And here's the truth. That's God, and that's the culture. Occasionally, God's going to surrender the culture to, the, to, to teach the lesson that needs to be taught. There's some things Corbett doesn't do anymore because I let him fail. I let him fall down. I let him get hurt. I know. If Defax wants to find me, they can find me. All right? I, it is what it is. But sometimes that's the only way the lesson is going to be taught. And we need to understand that. Listen, we don't need to clamor for cultural power because we need to stop and think and maybe that there is just a chance that this is what God wants. God's not surprised by anything. And maybe the church losing power in the culture is what God's after, what God's wanting. Maybe he's trying to teach the church a lesson. Listen, I don't think God's surprised that his church loses status in the world when it loses status in the world. And guess what? I don't think he cares that much. Kings and kingdoms will come and go. But the church is guaranteed to remain. And listen, as much as I love you, you will not find a more ardent patriot and someone who believes in the United States of America as I do. I love this country. I love the freedoms that we enjoy. And the fact that I can be as critical of it as I want or as glowing of it as I want and say anything that I want. And granted, contrary to popular belief, that still sits well in America. I'm going to say everything I'm going to say today and nobody's coming through the door to take me. As great as this place is, this has got, there's only one chosen nation in the history of the world, and that's the nation of Israel. And it was chosen for a purpose. It was chosen to bring Jesus into this world so that Jesus could redeem the world. That's it. We are working for an everlasting kingdom that is meant to redeem all of creation. We are not working for the good of one nation and for the, the, the continuance of whatever we deem it to be. So it's okay if we lose power in the culture because we have not lost the power of God. But that also doesn't mean that we sit back and do nothing. I'm not advocating that we just roll through and hands up and Jesus take the wheel and wherever come, you know, come what may. That's not the way it works. Because here's the truth. No matter if it was in Jerusalem at the height of King David's power where everybody believed the same and, and, and worshiped the same, or in Babylon as captives where no one believed and no one worshiped the same, God's servants still have a place no matter what. Listen to this as we continue on in Daniel chapter 1. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment, and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years, and then they were to enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. Now, little Bible school, it's, it's VBS you know, season all across our community. Anybody know who Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah happened to be? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach and Benny, all right? We, we know them more by their Babylonian names. I'm going to give that more to that. But that's who it is. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were God's people. So God doesn't give out the culture without a plan or a purpose for his people. And every time he has given up the culture, like this isn't the first time this happened, God gave up the culture to the Philistines in the book of Judges. He gave up 
the culture to the Canaanites. He gave up culture to the Assyrians. He gave up culture here to the Babylonians. Every time he has placed his servants in a position to be a servant, to be a witness to the kingdom. And in Babylon at this time, at this point in history, it was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And, you know, you could go throughout history and you could find many examples of people who have lived in the legacy of these four friends. Many times. But one that comes to mind in particular in fairly recent history is an Anglican priest whose name was Andrew White. You may not know Andrew White. You may not have heard. Maybe you've heard what he's more commonly referred to as. He's referred to as the Vicar of Baghdad. See, in 2005, when I was jetting off to Bible college in the safety and security of the borders of the United States of America... This man was dropping into Baghdad, Iraq, in the middle of a war. But he wasn't wielding an M16. He wasn't wielding grenades. He was wielding no man-made weapon of any kind. He was wielding a Bible and the gospel. And Cannon White remained in Baghdad until he was ordered. He was ordered to leave by the Archbishop of Canterbury in 2014. Nine years this man spent in a hostile country in the midst of a bloody, dangerous war And he spent his time seeking peace and reconciliation and being a witness of the gospel in a place that didn't want it, didn't need it, didn't didn't think that it had any place there. All through history, there have been men and women such as Andrew White following in the footsteps of Daniel and his friends. So God always brings purpose out of every single moment in history, and he uses his people to fulfill that purpose, no matter how much influence or power they have at the beginning of that particular era or season. See, our job is not to seek and to wrest back control in the culture, but to seek God how best to serve his kingdom, regardless of how much power and how much influence we have in the culture, and to maintain our beliefs, regardless of the situation. Because the culture is going to try to take that away. See, listen to what happens here. This is what we have to understand about cultural power. Cultural power will always attempt to assimilate people. I mentioned the name change. Listen to what happened. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belshazzar. Hananiah was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach. And Azariah was called Abednego. Whoever the cultural power is, The goal is to assimilate everyone. See, Babylon was attempting this. So much so that they took away the Hebrew religious given names of these four guys and changed them to Babylonian names so that their very identity of how they identified themselves was going to not be their culture, but Babylon's culture. And listen, this happens when any any entity gains cultural power. See, power is dangerous. We've had this share of ours of, of we've had our share of this in Christianity. The Crusades were about bending the will of those in culture and in, in the, world, the the ancient world into assimilating and confessing real or fake the name of Jesus just to make it happen. But they didn't care about heart and life change. They cared about you saying the words and confessing your loyalty to the cross. That's what the Crusades were about. It is a bloody, ugly history and anything but Christ-like. Even in America, though not a bloody, war-torn affair, we have had our chance at this, and we have been more about legislating the gospel through the halls of power than living the gospel in the halls of our houses and our workplaces and our schools and our communities. 
That has been our idea of witnessing for far too long. There's a reason we just walked through this series in Acts because we wanted to show what it looks like when the Christian church lives in power and lives out the gospel. And the result of all that, let, let me just, just stay with me now, because again, I, I, I'm sure that some of you are just, it's in you're like, oh, but this, but this. But listen to me now. The result of us living this way and, and using our cultural dominance this way has now become a post-Christian culture. What do you think God's trying to tell us? Who do you think he's trying to teach in this moment? Sure, the world needs a lesson because the world always needs a lesson because the world stands in contrast to the gospel. But I believe right now he's trying to teach his church, listen to me and live the gospel. Focus on living the way I want you to live and trust me with the results. Trust me with the power. We don't need to assimilate others into our world, our culture, our faith. Nor should we be assimilating into the world. And I say that fully understanding that I got a Britney Spears mic on my head. I couldn't look more like the culture right now. All right? I get the, hypocr the hypocrisy of what I'm saying right now. So what do we do, though? Knowing this, knowing and understanding that, that we live in a culture that is post-Christian, that God likely, because he's not surprised by anything, has, has brought us to this moment and this reason for a purpose, for a reason, and understanding that we have a culture that is going to try with everything in it to assimilate and pull us into its way of thinking. What do we do? Well, we look to Daniel and his friends, because this is how they did it. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating his food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel, but he responded, I am afraid of my Lord, the king, who has ordered that you eat his food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I'm afraid the king will have me beheaded. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who were eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggestion and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of food and wine provided for the others. Now, how shrewd and innocent was this move right here? Now, here's the truth. Like, it may sound silly in us because we don't, we don't live under the, the Old Testament law that says that you have to eat certain things and not eat certain things. So to drive a, a tent pole in the ground and say on food doesn't seem to be something that we can really relate to. But Daniel could have done that. He could have said, no, I serve the Lord my God. And he says, I don't eat this food, so I don't eat this food. And you can't do anything about it. I'm not doing it. And guess what? We would never know Daniel's name. We would never know that he existed. He would have faded into existence, just like many of the Jewish people who were held in captivity in Babylon, that we don't know their names. Because he would have been killed. He would have been killed immediately. And he would have had no chance to fulfill the calling that God had for him. Now, to be sure, he had his moments in that, that he had to do this in Babylon. But it was because of this moment that he was delivered. Because here's the truth. Humble conviction confounds the culture. See, when you were humbly convicted about what 
you believe and you believe it and you act upon it in such a way that makes the world take notice and they look back and they see the results and they're like, huh, what is different about this? When people live differently than normal, even if it costs them something and the results are different than anything they've ever gotten, the world starts to take notice. That's what happens here. And so then when Daniel did have to put the, the, the tent pole in the sand and say, I'm not moving off this, I will not bow before the king and worship him as the Lord my God. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did the same thing and they were caught, tossed into the fiery furnace and they were tossed into the lion's den. They were delivered because of their faith for one. And it says in scripture that the king hated having to do it. The king didn't want to do that to those men because he loved and he respected them and he'd come to rely on them. That's what humble conviction provides you. When you are humbly convicted and you don't lord it over and you don't just drive in it in pride. And listen, again, I stand before you a man full of pride at times. It is one of my great sins. That when we drive our, our, our stake in the ground and hold our ground because of pride and because we don't like being wrong, we don't like being told we're wrong, the results are disastrous. But when we walk in faith and we do like this and we walk in humble conviction, man, the world doesn't know what to do with it and it changes things. Let me, let me just... Let's just take an example from our world that I think the, the, the church is misguided in the way it goes about things at times. Let, let's look at abortion. Now, I, I stand before you, I, I, don't, I abhor abortion. As, as a believer in Jesus and just as a human in general, I, I, I don't like abortion. I, I don't think that it's a, 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 a cultural good. I don't think it ultimately ends up to the good of, of obviously the babies. It doesn't end up to the good of the women who go through. It doesn't good end up to the good of the fathers. There's nothing really ultimately good that comes from abortion. I, I don't, I, I believe that wholeheartedly. But let me ask you a question. Is our time worthwhile hollering about changing a law or is our time worthwhile doing something about it? Because I'm going to tell you right now, what would we do with all the children who aren't aborted when there's already more than foster care systems can hold and there's way more Christians in the world than there are foster children? What do we do with that truth? How many of us in this room would be more likely to pick up a picket sign and go outside an abortion clinic holding that sign than we would to sign a piece of paper and go through a training that would provide respite care to a foster family, even if you can't adopt or foster a child yourself? We've got to take a hard look in the mirror. Because here's the truth. We could outlaw abortion without changing one sentence of U.S. law. We could outlaw it just by living the gospel and doing what we're called to do. And one of the things that Scripture clearly calls us to is to care for widows and orphans. That is a clear call in Scripture. We could change everything. We don't need the people in Washington. We don't need the people in the, the Golden Dome in Atlanta to do a single thing for any one of us to change the gospel and to change something that we don't like. We don't need them because we have our God who goes in front. And when we live the gospel and live His Word, Man, things can radically change. And the craziest thing is, we live in the freest, most open, most plural society that has ever existed in the entirety of human existence. Again, I say, nobody is coming through the doors and is unlikely to come through the doors and tell you to stop believing what you're believing in your lifetime, in my lifetime. Maybe it comes one day. Because every kingdom falls, and maybe it doesn't, maybe tyranny reigns. I don't know what's in store, but I can tell you right now that there's nothing that's going to be costed to you other than maybe some harsh words from somebody on Facebook for living your life and living it boldly and in conviction. 
We don't need the power of this world. We can change the culture by living within it. And here's what happened. See, they fought this battle the right way, Daniel and his friends. And they began to acclimate to the culture, not assimilate to it. Because the culture wanted to assimilate them, but what they did was acclimate. And that's what believers do to the culture. Believers acclimate. They don't assimilate. Listen to how this works. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. So you remember at the beginning of our story that the part of the king's attempt to assimilate was to teach them all the ways and the culture and the literature and the wisdom of Babylon. It says that God gave them the ability to understand that, that literature and that wisdom and to understand it deeper and better than anybody else. And then he gave God, it says, God gave Daniel this special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. This is what believers do. Believers acclimate to the culture around them. They don't assimilate. They come to know the world around them and to understand it. Listen, I often listen to things that I don't agree with. I listen to people who I staunchly disagree with. Uh, there's one guy, you know, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you've had his name, Sam Harris. He's a neuroscientist and he's a, a staunch atheist. But I listen to his podcast and guess what? Not only have I learned some things that are helpful to me as in my own life, because all truth belongs to the Lord. Do y'all understand that, right? All truth belongs to God. And so when you listen to something, you hear something in it, and it does, that belongs to God. It doesn't matter who it came through, for one. And then for two, I get to understand more about what drives this world and drives things about people that I don't agree with and I don't believe. I understand more. I went to a seminary. I went to Mercer University Seminary. It's a cooperative Baptist fellowship seminary. It is a very, very progressive, very, very more liberal interpretation of Scripture. And I spent the first couple of weeks like looking around, like, what am I doing here? I showed up because I got a scholarship, and now I had no idea what I was getting into, and I was freaked out, and I was like, maybe I should leave. Maybe. I don't know, because I come from a fairly conservative scriptural interpretation background, and I stayed. And you know what? I learned more because I was stretched, because I was pushed, because I engaged with ideas and things that I didn't agree with. That is what these guys had to deal with. And they were forced to do it, but they did it. And God gave them the, the ability to understand, to be able to move and navigate and know where the people that they were trying to influence were coming from. And through that understanding, they were able to work and to move. Because here's the truth. God's ways remain greater. Doesn't matter what the world throws out there. God's ways are always going to be greater. Listen to what happened. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to, Neb to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them 10 times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. And Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. Imagine that. These guys lived with faith and with conviction, but they lived in such a way that allowed them to navigate the changing winds of culture in a culture that was at the beginning hostile to anything that they would have believed and thought and found their way into the service of the king to the point where his, their counsel was valued above all else's, and Daniel remained in that place through four different leaders. 
Four different kings looked at Daniel, looked at the way he lived his life, looked at how he navigated his world and said, I want that guy to to give me advice and to give me counsel and to help me in my leading. Because here's the truth of the matter. Shrewdness and innocence create gospel opportunities. So Daniel managed to do that. He managed to serve in prominence. He managed to serve under four different men with four different agendas, four different systems, four different ways of doing things. No matter what, no matter what shifted around him, he remained a constant in those, those years in the Babylonian captivity. Listen, he made his stand. And listen, sometimes you do have to make a stand. Sometimes there's no, there's no, there is no third option. Sometimes you have to say, no, I'm not doing that. But he also took the punishment. Sometimes you're going to have to do that. Sometimes you're going to have to stand. See, sometimes people forget that freedom doesn't come with a cost sometimes, and that cost will come to you sometimes. And sometimes you have to freely stand and say, this is where my line is, and I'm not budging off of it. And you deal with the consequences. Daniel didn't fight the lion's den. He knew he deserved it, and and he took his punishment and trusted the Lord with the results. Now, the Lord delivered him. Sometimes the Lord will deliver you. Sometimes he won't. But those days are few and far between. Think about how many days... That Daniel's the, the lion's den was one night. How many nights did Daniel spend in Babylon, weaving his way through the culture, finding ways to make himself re- work and move and be an influence in the culture? Shrewd as a snake. But his motives were always pure. He always wanted the best for the people around him. Now listen, don't lose sight of this. Your neighbors your co-workers, the people you disagree with, the people that maybe you fight with. Listen, and I, I'll be the first to admit, I had to come off of social media because I was one of these people. I wanted to fight with it. I wanted to fight. And I wanted, as soon as something happened in the culture, bam, there it was on the keyboard. There it was on my phone, typing out a response because I thought the world so desperately needed to hear what Brandon Daniel had to say when the truth is it couldn't have mattered less what I had to say about that instance. The only thing that matters is the gospel. And I don't trust myself to go back on it, which is why I continue to not be on it. I don't desire to fight in that culture anymore. I don't desire to be that way. What I want to do is be able to live my life in such a way and to navigate the culture and find my place where I can serve, where I can move, and to find that third way as much as possible. We must look for the third way in culture. We must walk the tightrope. Every day it's going to be this, just one foot in front of the other. One foot. One foot. Trying to keep your balance. Trying to stay right where you can be so that you can go because we, we our foundation doesn't move but the world's does and it's going to look different now it's going to look it looked different 10 years ago it's going to look different 10 years from now that's the thing about the world it is constantly searching for the truth and the truth is right there in front of it and we are meant to be the ones that continually put that truth in front of people anybody that will listen and be open to it so i'm gonna invite the band to come back up and i want to just I want you to think about where you are today. Now, some of you in this room, we've been doing this series, this witness series, and some of you have the one, and maybe some of you are sitting here and you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know this Jesus thing. I've never been really big into this whole church thing. I don't really have any interest in the gospel or any of this stuff. And, and maybe today you're hearing some of this for the first time, and I'm here to tell you that despite of the way it seems sometimes that the Christian church fights in the culture, God is for you. Jesus created you. He knows every hair on your head. He loves you more than anything. And he desperately, desperately wants to take your life and change it. 
But to those of you that are sitting here who are believers in, in what I'm saying today, maybe we all need to take a hard look in the mirror because here's the truth. That's what we all do. That's what the gospel does. The gospel is a mirror that holds up in front of us and has us look at ourselves and we see ourselves for all the faults, for all the flaws and everything. And some of us, we turn away because we just can't bear it and we never go to our knees. But that's what it takes because if you're like me, very rarely do we go to our knees when everything's good, right? See, the more that things go, we start believing our own story, we start believing our own hype, we start believing our own selves, and we're not driven to our knees. It's when things are going wrong that we're driven to our knees. And that's what the gospel's meant to do. It's meant that we look at ourselves every day and we see the faults, we see the flaws. None of us is perfect. None of us is there. And we all need the same Savior. And maybe some of us today, we lose sight of that. We allow the culture to dictate how we move in the culture because we are so afraid or so angry or so whatever about the way that the culture goes. But I'm here to tell you today, we have to repent of that church. We can no longer be about fighting the culture war the way that the world fights it because we will lose that war every single time because we are not meant to fight that way. We are meant to fight with the gospel truths. We are meant to look at our neighbors and understand that our battle is not against them. Your battle is not against your coworker. It's not against your family. It's not against your friends. It is against the ruler, the principalities of darkness. It is against the person who has this authority in this world for this short period of time and our job is to pull as many people away from him as possible. That is your job. That is your goal. So don't get suckered in. No matter where we go, no matter what we go from here, no matter how the culture turns, there is one constant and that's Jesus Christ. Be shrewd as serpents. Lay in the weeds. Look for the moment to move. Look for the moment to bend. Look for the moment to find that third way of being always have at the forefront the motive that you want to see people have the hope and life change that's only provided through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray. The band's going to play a song. And if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to that same Jesus because you've never have before, I'll be down front. I'll be willing to, to pray with you. If you're here today and you need to repent of some of these things that we're all guilty of at times. And listen, I'm one of the world's worst. I stand before you today, not someone who has it all figured out. I'm a moron, y'all. But I'm a moron who lives in the same world that y'all live in, and now I work in the same world that y'all live in, that y'all work in. I understand the struggles. I understand the temptations. I understand how hard it can be. But we must fight against the right things, and we must fight to win, not just to fight to say that we fought the good fight. That's not what God has in mind for his saints. He has in mind victory. Let's fight in a way that we can find the win. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves. You're a God that you might surrender the culture at times, but you never leave it. And we are thankful that you are a God that no matter the course of human history, no matter what it takes, no matter where it goes, that you are the constant and that you always have a place for your servants. Lord, help us all to meet the challenge. Help us all to follow in the footsteps of Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. Lord, that they boldly lived with conviction. They lived with humility. They lived with grace. They lived with love for the people around them. And that you blessed them, that you gave them the knowledge and the, the wisdom to see their way through the culture and constantly find another way to put just a little more gospel truth into their lives of the people around them. And may we live with that same kind of humility. May we live with that same kind of boldness. May we live with that same kind of courage. And may we see 
cultural change the right way through the power of God and not through the power of man. We love you, Lord, and we lift up the name of Jesus today. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. If you would like to speak with someone about the message you just heard, or if you would like to pray with someone, send us an email at info at eastridge.church. If you feel led to support the ministry at Eastridge, please visit eastridge.church give. Thank you for your generosity. Remember, no matter where you are in life, God loves you. We love you, and you have a family at East Ridge Church.